Some of these recent mornings here have been cold enough that my car has had just a thin layer of ice or frost across the windshield to the point that the windshield wipers by themselves can't just shake it off. So I turn the car on and I put those defrost vents on high and, and then I wait because you can't drive the car until you can see out the window. And as you know, eventually the heated air continues to blast onto the frosted glass and a, and a small circle of clarity starts to emerge at the bottom of the windshield. And slowly but surely that circle gets wider and wider and soon enough the whole windshield is clear. I can readily see where I'm going and so now I can drive forward. Is that how prayer works? Or is that one way to think of prayer? A steady blast of the Holy Spirit eventually, faithfully, opening us to see. We're entering into a six-week sermon series on prayer. And there is so much that can be said about prayer. And I can only say with confidence this. We're only going to scratch the surface. There is so much to unpack with regard to prayer because there is so much to unpack when it comes to encountering the living, infinite God, which is what prayer is all about. Today's sermon focuses on seeing. Be thou my vision. And one of the things I think we hope happens in prayer is that the Holy Spirit, fire, goes to work in some mysterious way and, and, and can defrost any number of the rather opaque windshields in our lives so that we can see. Should we go this way or that way? This opportunity or that one? This living situation or that one? That school or that one? Cut back on this or that? Trust this person or that? Stand for this or that? As a church, shall we go this way or that way or some of both? Bottom line, how might we know clarity or insight or vision for any number of the pressing things in our lives? Our passage in the Gospel of Mark begins very early in the morning while it was still dark. A time of low visibility, maybe no visibility. And it's then that Jesus gets up, leaves the house, and by himself prays in that space. What did that look like? How did Jesus pray? What did he say? What did he hear? Did the Holy Spirit perhaps somehow slowly but surely breathe new insight or clarity into Jesus' situation? We're not told any of what is said or heard while Jesus goes to pray, but Mark implies a strong connection between what happens in the prayer time and what happens next. Simon and some of the others, they go look for Jesus. They find him praying, and Simon exclaims, everybody's looking for you. Because, of course, Jesus has been healing back over in Capernaum, and the crowds want more. And it makes sense Jesus should want to go there. He's got goodwill there. He's built a following there. There is a definite need there. And, of course, the pressure of this huge crowd is surely confirmation. That's really where you need to go. And Jesus replies, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. He declares something so unexpected, given how natural and almost obvious the other direction was. And it only makes us wonder all the more what it was that happened in that space of prayer. How did he discern to go this way and not that way? Early in our marriage, Michelle and I were just getting settled into 
uh, Pasadena, California, where I was attending Fuller Seminary. And in that first month, I was feeling quite unsettled by my classes. And seminary will do that. It was cause for enough anxiety that I questioned, should I be in seminary? Should I be in ministry? Should I be in another seminary this way or that? I definitely felt there was a layer of frost on the windshield. And I'm praying these vision questions. And I'm pouring all these same questions over to Michelle as we're preparing dinner in our apartment. We finally get to the dinner table. And just as I'm sitting down for our meal, I notice I don't have water. So I went and I go and I pour myself a glass of water and then sit down for dinner. And Michelle is staring at me the whole time. Were you going to ask if I wanted water? Oh. Now, this must sound ridiculous to you, but I genuinely had gone about this water task without thinking about the fact that she had no water. I did not notice that. I did not notice to notice that she had no water. It later occurred to me, this was a season in which I've been praying all these vision prayers. Holy Spirit, defrost the windshield so I know where to go next. It's kind of like Jesus heard my prayer for vision. Hey, Bobby, some new clarity. Love your neighbor as yourself. Start with the one in the passenger seat of life with you. It was almost as if God's saying, you know, what if, what is it to move forward with any of these questions about this way or that if the second half of my most basic commandments has been lost in the discernment? Holy Spirit, help us defrost the windshield. And what if the thing that it turns out when we place ourselves in the hands of the living God in prayer, what if the main thing that needs defrosting is not something in front of us, but within us? What, what if at times it's, it's the plank in our own eye that is cause for insufficient vision? What if, what if when we place ourselves in prayer, we began to see not at all what we expected when we first came to pray and talk about this or that? Certainly the water moment was not at all how I expected Jesus to hear some of my prayer. And yet that does really seem to be a fundamental thing about prayer. It's a space of unexpected perspective. The author Philip Yancey puts this this way in his book, uh, Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? One of the best books I've ever read on prayer. He writes, prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. Prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. Unless we too quickly forget, ours is a God who comes upon ordinary fishermen and sees disciples. Ours is a God who has shown five loaves and two fish and sees a feast for 5,000. Ours is a God who notices a paltry two copper coins offered by in worship by a poor widow and sees a gift greater than all the other wealth accumulated that day. Ours is a God who looks upon sinners and sees them clothed in Christ's forgiveness. Ours is a God who looks upon a cross and sees the conduit of life and life eternal. Prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. And God's point of view is often a profound surprise. Paradox. I think this is part of the reason why Paul prays for the church in the way that he does. Listen again to his prayer in Ephesians. I keep asking that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the ability to have insight or see or perceive, so that 
you may know him better. Paul does not pray that the church more clearly see every situation that is put before them, but rather that all of their seeing and insight be directed toward Jesus, that they might know him better. Because if the church knows Jesus better, then the church always knows far more readily what he sees, who he sees, how he sees. Start with God, and the vision follows. But then what does that look like very practically? And I think much could be said on that point. But just consider what happens each week that we gather in worship. This space saturated in prayers sung, prayers spoken, prayers in silence. Each Sunday, we walk through the doors with all kinds of things on our hearts. Good things, bad things, hard things, unclear things. Things going on in the world, our nation, things happening on our street, our family, our school, our business. Or often just the craziness of the morning itself already. The conversation we had in the car. The miracle of getting here on time with the kids or the traffic or the parking. We arrive with all of this racing through our heads and our hearts. And then very soon into the worship service, we find ourselves saying a call to worship. Lift up your hearts. And then, and then singing an opening hymn that is typically full of praise to God. Today, we sang, which of course is a form of prayer. We praise you, O God, our Redeemer, creator and grateful devotion, our tribute we bring. Uh, but maybe we were not at all feeling terribly grateful at the moment of those lyrics. And then we sang in prayer, we worship you, God of our fathers and mothers. And maybe we're upset right now with a parent. Or maybe we hadn't thought of any of our forebears in, in quite some time. And then we sang in prayer, with voices united, our praises we offer. And perhaps we've been so consumed with our own inner monologues, we've forgotten about all the people alongside us with whom our voice is joined. And that really we need them and they need us. The point is, often we enter this space of worship and there is a disconnect between where we are and the things we're thinking about and where God is and the things on God's heart. And yet worship is a prayerful space in which by starting with God, we find our thoughts, our inner monologues, our concerns, all of it reframed in unexpected ways. The Methodist preacher and bishop, Will Willimon, puts it this way. In worship, we withdraw to the real world where we're given eyes to see and ears to hear the advent of a kingdom that the world has taught us to regard as only fantasy. Worship, this space saturated in prayer, worship is a withdrawal into the real world where we finally see what Jesus sees and we glimpse something of a vision for God's kingdom. Consider even this morning, amid the prayers sung on your lips, or the prayers spoken, or the quiet prayers that have already happened within, have you noticed the Holy Spirit reframing or illuminating something or someone or some ones that had not been on your radar? Is a defrosting happening? But maybe not at all in the spot you had been stewing on. We may wish to know this or that. And God really would like us to notice our neighbor who needs water. 
We may wish to know this or that. And God would really like to point out a wonderful thing in our lives that honestly we usually just overlook or take for granted. Or we may wish to know this or that. And Jesus may simply desire that we see him more clearly. Because as Hebrews 11 famously declares, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Yes, Jesus does open our eyes to any number of things in prayer. But the author of Hebrews also assumes that a lot of the time we have to put the car into drive without a lot of clarity about how it will go or how long it will go or where it will end up. Even Jesus in our passage from Mark, can we be sure that that Jesus in that space of prayer heard God saying, now go to those villages, not Capernaum. Maybe all Jesus knew in prayer was a deeper sense of God's abiding, faithful, loving presence, which was going to hold Jesus no matter which direction he goes. Maybe Jesus speaks to his disciples with confidence, not because he sees clearly he must go that way, but because in prayer he sees clearly God. And that is more than enough to carry him in the direction he's going to go. Again, in in Ephesians, Paul prays most fundamentally that the church would simply know Jesus better. It's almost as if Paul assumes that much of life is lived seeing through a glass darkly, as he puts it elsewhere. Much of life has a far more opaque windshield than maybe we would like to admit. But what if precisely in that space, we still had 100% clarity about Jesus? What if we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the God who rose from the darkness of the grave is the God who is with us and for us, no matter how opaque or dark the situation? I mean, that's really Paul's prayer for us. Would knowing that be enough? If the eyes of our heart saw only and fully Jesus, would that be enough? Would that be more than enough? Could, could we sing with fullness of soul that, the line in our final hymn this morning, not be all else to me, save that thou art, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Prayer is the act of seeing from God's perspective. Often that means that in prayer we see people in situations in surprising new light. And most fundamentally, it means that in prayer we are given to see Jesus himself more clearly. Since from God's perspective, Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. As we step forward in faith upon a reality that may be quite opaque, often is, would it be enough if we were given to see Jesus risen and for us? Would that be enough? Might that be more than enough?